Today, the below-average Joe's MMA show presents verbal sparring. Dominic and I must decide whether to go head-to-head or to be much like the Hardy Boys via 2000 and team up as we go round-by-round, question-by-question. Our friendship will be tested over the questions such as Usman versus Edwards three in Wembley Stadium? Question mm-hmm. mark. Kayla Harrison versus Chris Cyborg on PFL pay per view. And even why is UFC two seventy nine so thin? All of this and more, and it all starts right now. Welcome everyone to verbal sparring. Mm-mm-mm. The show where me and Dom have scoured the globe. We've looked high. We've looked low. We've been searching for you, the MMA fans' biggest burning questions out there. Yeah. Where did we look for these questions? Well, we asked you to submit your questions. So thank you to those who did. Mm-hmm. But we also checked Twitter. Yeah. Instagram. Yeah. YouTube comments. Uh-huh. We checked Reddit. Mm. We were literally asking random bystanders on the street. And we have compiled a list. Yes. Just like the octagon that they fight in. Eight sides, eight questions. Mm. And me and Dominic's friendship's going to be tested here. I mean, that, that's the reality of what this is. If me and Dominic, we... We have been accused of avoiding debates um, on this show, at least at times. I don't think that's going to be the case anymore, Dom. I don't think, for anyone who thought that, I think they're going to see some teamwork. They will see us on certain questions, build each other up, build off of each other's argument. We'll be on the same page, Jeff and Matt Hardy, circa 2000. Yes. But then also... Just like any other great tag team, eventually they break up. And Mm -hmm. there will be questions where we will be tested. We will get heated. We Mm -hmm. will verbally spar. Oh, shit. So, Dominic, uh, I think I pretty much set that up. Like, I think I should give myself a pretty good pat on the back there. But I want to ask you how you're doing as we're going into verbal sparring. Obviously, a familiar segment for those of, uh, of our listeners or viewers who have been paying attention to our podcast for, you know, however long, but now we're kind of branching it out. We're making it its own entity here. We are presenting to you verbal sparring in its newest form, Mm. but very much going to be the kind of content you've gotten used to only better. Love it. Hey, how are you feeling? Question us. Oh, I feel really good. I'm super excited. As you guys can see, as Noah hinted, we're branching the content. So we've got this coming to you Thursday, August 25th. New color scheme, if you didn't notice, by the way. But then, on Monday, our other new piece of content coming to you. Kate Side Rewind event. I guess you'll just have to wait and find out. But there's going to be a new color scheme for that, too. The podcast OG colors, the verbal sparring colors, the Cage Side Rewind colors. The colors to be in the future. Things are looking so good. Things are looking good for the below average Joes right now and our community. 
But it's verbal sparring time, Noah. I'm ready to go. You kind of got me a little, you know, <laughs> going, I'll just say, to get this mm-hmm. thing started. And uh, if you're doing good, which I know you are, I'm going to pop up question number one. Go ahead. I will just say, I think that's the first time you've uh, that we've uh, mentioned publicly uh, that we will be having Cage Side Rewind come out on Monday. I don't think we have acknowledged that publicly. We've just kind of... I believe, I believe we teased that we had something in the works. Yeah. But, I'm, fuck it, we're saying it. It's, <laughs> it's coming. Monday, Cage Side Rewind will be here. promise you guys you don't want to miss it. It is our newest creation. Completely different than anything we've done up to this point. Highly edited content. We're really trying to dabble, uh, put our toe in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of a toe, we just dove head first in. I mean, yes. that's, that's the reality. So, Belly smack. Um, yeah. I will. I will hold off on too many details. Just watch it on Monday. I mean, seriously. What yeah, are you waiting? We'll see. For? Yeah. Well, I guess you're waiting for us to release it. But anyways, question number one. Boom. We just had a pretty massive fight go down last Saturday, Dom. Massive. More massive coming out than it was going in. What? Of course, we had our pound for pound. Best fighter in the world, Kamaru Usman, defending his welterweight title in Salt Lake City, Utah. Where else would you put him? Against right. Leon Edwards, a familiar foe. A pretty normal fight by all accounts. Nothing too crazy happening for the first four rounds. I mean, Leon having a great round one, but Usman taking control rounds two through four. And uh, looking like he was about to coast to a decision. When in the last minute of that title fight, Leon Edwards lands the perfect technique, the perfect head kick, knocks Kamar Usman out cold. So, we discussed this a lot on Monday's episode, admittedly, but we've had some time to let it digest, let it simmer, and it's been obviously a huge talking point for the community. So, Dominic, question one is, how realistic would a sellout be at Wembley Stadium for the Edwards versus Usman trilogy bout. Now, you mentioned on Monday, and this is true, it has been fact-checked, 95,000 capacity for Wembley Stadium. Now, I don't know in terms of when you bring MMA there. I don't know if that raises the capacity, lowers it. I don't know exactly how uh, that would work. But let's just look at that 95,000 number. The record is UFC 243 in Australia, headlined by... Robert Whitaker, Israel Adesanya. I don't have that number in front of me, but I believe it's in the 50s, 50,000s. High 50s, yeah. So, pretty big jump here. I mean, somewhat yeah. close to double. So, yeah. my question is how realistic would that be to have a sellout at Wembley Stadium? <sighs> Noah, every time the UFC does something in the UK, in London, in that market, Manchester, whatever the case be, they show out. And I don't think it's just, you know, like London, Manchester, where they're at and the people that are there. I think it's all of Europe that just gather and come together to these fights because they don't go there very often. Shout out Columbus, Ohio. Anyway, I, and it's, it sounds crazy, 90,000 people, 95, whatever the case, and then you don't even factor in, they probably are going to put people on the field like they would at like Marvel Stadium. So that's even more seating. Yeah. I mean, we're talking an MMA fight 
with close to 100,000 people. Who would have thought we'd see the day? Well, I did, and you did, because we love this sport. We knew it's going to go to the fucking stratosphere, but Mm -hmm. this is a big deal, but I think it's very, very realistic. You're going to have Leon Edwards, who just became a star, Noah, overnight, just like that, and literally the snap of a finger or the landing of a foot to a face, if you will, from the UK market, the second ever champion from there. Not to mention, every time the UFC goes there, they stack the prelims. They stack the main card with other United Kingdom fighters, other European fighters. This would be massive, record-shattering, and it's a trilogy bout for all the marbles. Legacies on the line, titles on the line. I think it's super realistic. I think it happens. You're going to make me be the bad guy, huh? Uh-oh. Go ahead. I know everybody's going to start booing. I think it's completely 0% chance that this can be a sellout. And Wembley. I think this could, if you do it properly, in the UK, somewhere... You know, there's other venues with high capacity. Uh, one of the reporters talking to Dana White at his post-fight press conference for last night's Contender Series bout asked him about a uh, or mentioned a uh, location in Cardiff, Wales, seventy-five thousand capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. It's it's going to be more than what the capacity is for like yeah. a, a soccer yeah. game. It's going to be close to a hundred thousand. That number has not been reached since Pride back in the day. I mean, Pride's the only, out in Japan, the only company to ever even sniff that number. Yeah. You know, the UFC has prided itself on, you know, the home Rousey fight. Then you had the Whitaker Adesanya fight in that that 50,000 mark. And I know the GSP Jake Shields card in Canada did really well back in the day, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe those are the top three, but those are, I mean, you're doubling close to it for, for selling out Wembley. I think it's ambitious. Now let's look at our headliner first. Let's look at Usman and Edwards. Kamara Usman has, met, has definitely built up a bit of a name for himself being the pound for pound best fighter in the world going into that fight with Edwards um, never quite been like a huge pay-per-view draw, but I guess he's been on a lot of stacked cards. You know, UFC 268 and NYC. He was, of course, headlining with Masvidal. That card did bonkers out at Fight Island the first time. Yeah. I'm pretty sure their second fight, uh, where they first brought fans back, UFC 261, probably did very well. Um, he's con- He's consistently been on mostly stacked pay-per-views you know the burns fight and then this one with edwards not exactly but um i i i think if you if you took that card at salt lake city and just and it is kind of a weird thing to do if you took that kind of card and put it in in london right there was some interest in the co-main the out in marab fight had a lot of interest in it but realistically the kind of capacity, like I don't think that main event by itself is getting to that fifty thousand mark. Mm-hmm. I think you got to be very, very balls to the wall with the rest of this card 
Patty Pemblet's got to be heavily featured. Molly McCann's got to be heavily featured. Maybe people like Darren Till. Maybe yeah, Tom Aspinall. But, well, Tom Aspinall probably won't be back in time. But um, if you want to get close to, like, a 75,000, that's how you do it. You stack it with those kind of names, which the UFC have done with their fight night events this year. But I, I just think it's uh, just a bit too tall. I hate the rain on the parade because I do think Leon, especially depending on when they do it, that's another thing too. Like if they really turn this thing around and do this trilogy bout in like November, December, January, I think the momentum is still going to be riding high enough on Leon to where it probably does pretty well. But if you do it almost a year from now, how much momentum will he lose from the mm. time off, no. you know, the, you gotta. I think that's why they're wanting to turn it around. Is they kind of have something here with them? I mean, he was the talk of the town for sports. Yes, for multiple days. I just, um, I just think we got to come back down to earth and realize, like, it's gonna be massive. Could be the biggest. I'm, I'm, I'm not rolling out. It can't be the biggest ever. Right, but a hundred thousand. I say that's blasphemous from you. Blasphemous? Oh man, I don't know. I think that is just just the intrigue to be someone from the UK that has like been to Wembley or always been around Wembley for all these years, and to say you're like an MMA fan and your dream sport is gonna try and crash in there. I think that just creates interest alone for people to attend to, even if they aren't like a leon edwards fan or whatever like just the the intrigue of an outdoor humongous event that will likely never happen well probably that's a bit much but not happen again for the foreseeable future because you see how long the gaps are between the big events i i I think it could man i but it has to all be done perfectly so that's why i thought it was interesting when you brought up if they do it quicker it makes it easier and i and i get that because of all the hype and all the momentum but there's only so little time to like truly promote it in that region and get it get the word spread as much as possible get all of those right matchups booked but if you do do it in what we say like march on monday's episode i think would be like the earliest Mm -hmm. as of right now or whatever you not only have time to build it but you have time to let schedules work out to get a patty to get a meatball molly to get an art on allen not Tom, because he's still hurt, to get a Jack Shore, to get a Darren Till, knock on wood, hopefully the guy fights again. I mean, it could, if everything is planned strategically and marketed well, which the UFC is stellar at, they do better than any other promotion by a large margin, I really think it's possible. I really do. See, I just, uh, Dominic, you, I, I just, <laughs> I, okay, I kind of get what you're saying, but I, I really don't see how the if they really wait it out that it's going to improve it. You're right. You got to make sure you get some of these names on that card. But out of the names you just mentioned, like is Jack Shore really moving ticket sales? Like I don't. Well, I'm just saying so. you were saying they have to stack it. So I'm just I was trying to name. No, I I agree. I agree. But really, the only names that really are like a necessity mm-hmm. in terms of moving those ticket sales and getting it to that number. Is Leon Edwards Usman obviously, and then you have the names like 
Patty Pimblett, Molly McCann. I do have one more name. Darren Till, who else? Again, all depends on timing and matchups. But it doesn't look like Hamzat's going to fight for a title next if this trilogy happens. He represents Sweden. He co-mains on that mm. card. That okay. could be the tipping point, just potentially, just maybe, just maybe. See, and then I get concerned about that too because apparently his his the ticket sales with him and Nate Diaz are not doing great. I remember you saying that um, about the buys which, and what. Which I know that has a lot to do with the fact that the rest of the card is just not <laughs> very great. Yeah. Um, and maybe because the main event feels like an inevitability, like it feels like the outcome's inevitable. Yeah. But um, it makes me wonder if maybe we're in such an MMA bubble that we believe Hamzat is this massive deal who is could be a huge star, and he probably could be. I think he's – well, I, I know he could be. Yeah. But I think right now we might be overestimating his, like, his reach outside of our MMA bubble. Mm-hmm. You know, is he a guy who can headline and make – I'm not talking about with the Nate Diaz. I'm saying if he headlines with Colby Covington, do they do 600,000, 500,000? I don't know if they do. Colby and Jorge apparently did under 400,000 this year. Mm. I mean, Jorge was supposed to be one of the biggest names in the company, right? So, right. Um, we're not necessarily talking about pay-per-view buys with this question, though, because I do think, just like with Izzy Whitaker, I don't think that pay-per-view sold like, 500,000. I think it was probably a modest success, but it was the ticket sales, the venue being packed out. That's what really made it such a success, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think at best you're doing 75, 80,000. And that is if, and it's got to be perfect, like you're saying, but to me, the perfect combination, Dom, is you do this at the latest January. And you got to get those names I just mentioned. How realistic is it to get those names? Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough. I, I don't think you could probably just, even if you just got Patty, I mean, that's probably doing a big, I mean, that's probably big. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I maybe I'm underestimating that, that, that location, like that crowd. I mean, I know that they, there's a lot of momentum building with them over there. You know, they've had back-to-back cards that were huge successes, even if like, you know, the second card, didn't turn out great in terms of some of the action in the cage, but it been huge successes money wise and just has really raised the popularity of MMA in that region. Mm-hmm. But I just am not, I just don't, I, I can't, I gotta be a realist here and say as much as I love what we're seeing and as much as the momentum's building, I don't think we're at a point yet where we can say we're doubling or close the to record. doubling yeah. the record. I think we can beat the record. To me, that should be, like, I should be the good guy here. Dominic is setting unrealistic expectations. <laughs> right, right. But admittedly, Dana is the one that mentioned Wembley. So, I mean, it, the fact that he's mentioning it, I, don't get me wrong. I hope that they kind of go for it just because I want to be proven wrong. And even if they don't sell it out, like, who the fuck cares? Like, put it there and do 80, 80,000, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it might look, I don't know how that would look, but I, I mean, fuck it. Like, it'd be massive. Yeah, it would. UK fans, European fans of the show, I know we've got some out there. Let us know. Would you Would you attend an event like this? Should it happen at Wembley Stadium? Have you been to any of the events this year? Let us know. I'm fully expecting some people to come at me on that one. But 
Well, I'll take it in stride. You know, peace and love, man, like this shirt, right? So <laughs> question number two. Yes, yes. We're staying on the topic, Kamara Usman, Leon Edwards, trilogy bout. Um, just trying to be topical, guys. You know, it just happened. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, yeah. This one being more focused on the man who lost title, the man who Dominic put it so poignantly on the episode. Felt like he had so much greatness in his grasp. He's already achieved so much greatness, but had so much more to gain with just a win here. And it just kind of slipped from his grasp. You know, he's a minute away from tying a record, a minute away from coasting into his role in Black Panther, being on the red carpet with his title belt and whatnot, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And it, um, it just kind of slipped from the grasp, right? So uh, for Kamaru Usman, Dom, this was actually submitted by a friend of ours, so shout out to yep. him. If he were to defeat Leon Edwards in a trilogy bout, does he retire immediately or will he continue to defend? And we did talk about this a little bit on Monday, but I'm just curious now that some more time's passed. How are you feeling about it right now? See, I'm glad this actually got brought up by our buddy because on Monday I was, you know, you heard me and you were even Mm. a bit surprised that I was kind of in the opinion of, I don't know if Kamaru comes back at all, but. He's done a couple interviews, he's had a couple Instagram lives, and he has expressed interest. He's given the proper respect to Leon. Everything's been so good. It's all been so good. Leon back in England now, by the way. It's going to be bonkers over there the next few days. I do think Kamaru wants this fight. I think he wants that belt back. But that doesn't completely rule out the whole retirement situation, but I do think he will fight one more time. It will be the trilogy fight against Leon, hopefully in Wembley Stadium in London relatively soon, but I hope he heals because I want an awesome fight. And I think win or lose, win or lose. So I'm answering this and doubling down the second part, which I guess if he loses, it makes even more sense. But you get it. I think he's done. If he wins, he gets that belt back, rides off into the sunset. If he loses... I mean, the guy already has nothing else left to prove at that point. There's no need to, like, fight a contender. We know he's not going to go up to fight Izzy. It's all gravy, I think, either way. Kamaru Usman, one more fight, one more title fight, and he's done. I'm going to agree with you halfway. Okay. And it might surprise you. and It may surprise some people which direction I'm going to go here. If he wins that title back, if he defeats Leon Edwards, avenges that loss, wins the trilogy... He goes out on top. He retires. But if he loses, and I don't care if it's via finish, by decision, DQ, whatever, I I don't think he walks away. I don't. Interesting. And I I know that that's the reaction, right? The knee-jerk reaction is to kind of go, well, what's he got left to fight for? And that's true in in a lot of ways. Like, his, by that point, you lose twice to the guy. It kind of shows like, all right, you know, the right guy is the champion now. You are no longer the best in the division, the best in the world. You know, your legacy is already set. Like, only you can only make it worse, right, in some ways. But we're dealing with, a, with an athlete who there is a lot of, and I'm not just talking about Kamara. This is across the board. Any high-level fighter, any elite fighter who's been a champion, they really struggle with walking away and especially struggle with walking away when they're losing on their way out. You see it time and time again. How many guys went on these massive losing streaks 
where really all they wanted was a win. And they would, they'd be happy. They'd go they'd right off into the sunset, but they just couldn't fucking get it, Dom. Even yeah. the all-time greats like Anderson Silva. I knew it. I knew it. It's all right, though. He should have walked away after Derek Brunson. I mean, what they they handed him a victory, you know. You you are correct. <clears throat> but um, no. In all seriousness, I think if Usman loses, I think he try. I think he looks for that one more big non-title bout. I don't know what it would be because I mean, let's say it's in January he loses. I mean, what do you do next? Right? Do you do um, God? Like I'm trying to think now. You know, it would almost be interest. It would almost feel like a UFC thing to do that if he lost to, again to Leon, that they would try to put him with Nate Diaz or something. But yeah. um, Nate Diaz will out, be out of his contract. Not to say he can't come back, but you know, I I just could see him trying to get that one more big payday, a big non-title fight. Um, in a way, he'll almost feel less restricted with his matchup because he'll still yeah. be cons- probably an elite fighter. But he can fight anybody at that point. And really, the bigger the name, the better for him. And I think he's going to look to get that one more win before he rides off. Um, I just really don't know who that would be right now. I think a Diaz brother is... Right now, if he loses to Leon, I think uh, his next fight being against a Diaz brother would be make a lot of sense. I really do. Nick make a lot of sense. Fight again, sorry, or... sorry, sorry. I meant make a lot of sense for what they the UFC likes to do and for what you know those financially guys looking for yeah um would not make a ton of sense you know competitively competitively speaking, but yeah yeah um or Dominic Conor McGregor's out there that oh wait a minute wait a minute he loses Leon <laughs> they've traded jabs back and forth Connor wants a 170-pound fight. Oh, shit. You know, no. I saw the clip going around today. Someone tweeted, and y'all said Connor wouldn't be able to do this to Kamaru. And it was a clip of Connor landing that high kick on Cowboy Cerrone that really set up the finishing sequence. The sand. I Look, I believe that fight goes exactly how I thought it would have went, what, two weeks ago? I mean, I think Kamaru smash. But... That fight would be massive if you, Dude, if you, you know, uh, now that Kamaru, it almost, you can't sell it realistically with Kamaru having that title. But if you take the title away, Dude. all of a sudden, you may just, you may be on to something with that one, man. <laughs> wow. I didn't even think it, about that, but that is so it, realistic. It really is. And you, and, and you motherfuckers watching or listening. Don't even give me that shit about. Well, no, Connor's gonna fight at 155. Look at the man. He's two hundred and twenty pounds. <laughs> like, my, my man is about to outweigh me in a couple weeks. That man is not fighting at no 155 pounds anytime soon. I don't care what Charles Oliveira says. I don't care what Connor says. <laughs> Connor's retired like ten times. You really gonna believe a word he says? I believe his next fight will be at 170. Could it be Kamaru? I'm just saying. I'm just Dude. Saying. 
All right, that's big time shit there. That's a that's a <laughs> mic drop. We have six questions left still. <laughs> yes, we do. Let's move on to question number three, Dom. We're going to switch things up a little bit here. Go with the PFL for this one. PFL was having the last of their um, semifinal playoff matchups on last Saturday. Uh, Kayla Harrison was in the main event. She wins. She does Kayla Harrison shit. It's kind of her thing. Yeah. She is on her way to a third bout with, um, <laughs> I just gave Larissa this girl a lot Pacheco. of respect. I'm terrible with names. I'm learning that about myself. Larissa Pacheco, they will fight for the third time uh, in the championships. If Kayla wins there, all eyes on her next move again, just like last year. She'll still be under contract with the PFL, but what is the likelihood that the PFL goes out and gets her a fight with Chris Cyborg or someone else? I mean, Amanda Nunes feels maybe a bit more of a long shot, but let's focus on that Chris Cyborg-Kayla Harrison fight. So PFL starting up a pay-per-view division. It's supposed to start at the end of this year or early next year. So, Dominic, what are the chances that a Kayla Harrison versus Chris Cyborg PFL pay-per-view would break 200,000 buys. And then second part, 500,000 buys. And there's context for these numbers. I at first had like the list, but basically if this breaks 200,000 buys, it cracks the top 10 for women's headliners and MMA pay-per-view history. I mean, the whole list is UFC, but um, it would break the, it would break into that list. 500,000 is top five. So, I want you to kind of start off here. Like, what do, you, what do you think? How realistic are these two numbers? Yeah, so first and foremost, the PFL has never done this before. The UFC right. has been doing pay-per-views for 800 years. They have that whole thing down pat. Um, this is interesting and intriguing, and I love that the PFL is wanting to go out and do stuff like this. 500,000 is zero percent chance so i'm going to eliminate that first and foremost two hundred thousand they were on the same page there yeah now two hundred thousand i still think is a bit outlandish but i don't think it's impossible so i did a couple events granted these are all ufc and i didn't put any on here with ronda rousey because that just doesn't count she was she was like a million pay-per-view person so i didn't put any of that on here but we're talking the greatest women's fighter of all time, and Amanda Nunes. I've got three headlining events on here that had her in it. The greatest women's fighter ever. When she fought Felicia Spencer, 85,000 buys. When she fought Raquel Pennington, 85,000 buys. When she fought Valentina Shevchenko in the second fight, the rematch, 100,000 buys. And then I did a number for Chris Cyborg, because she did headline an event with Yana Kunitskaya, UFC 222. That actually did a surprising number to me. That did 260,000 buys. But when I was looking at the card, and I'm like, wow, that really shocked me. But all that aside, and those numbers in the brain, I think that a number, I don't know if I want to say a goal, because PFL can shoot for the stars. It don't matter to me, because I'll be watching. I wanted to kind of mold these numbers together with the intrigue. Should Kayla win a third belt? Should Cyborg, like Cyborg's boxing next month? Shit, she could win that. 
She's the Bellator champion. They're button heads back and forth. It would be co-promoted, I would think. Maybe. Maybe not. But maybe. I was thinking like 150. Hmm. I don't think 200 is impossible. Because so, this question is, what are the chances? 10% chance, maybe. I just, guys, that's a lot. That's a lot of pay-per-view buys. I know how great these women are, but that's a, those are hard numbers to reach. So, And I think even 150 is a bit lofty, but I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm being a bit optimistic. I'm going to say 150,000. Excited to hear your it's, thoughts. It's really hard to predict, admittedly. Really yeah, hard. It is. It's a whole because, new model. Yeah. Because... You don't have the UFC machine behind it. PFL is on ESPN, so like they True. do, you know, they might not be the the biggest dog in the yard, but they got quite a big backing, right? You know, mm-hmm. maybe you get if you get uh, because PFL apparently are they have this understanding that Chris Cyborg's a free agent right now. That is what they keep saying. Mm. So I don't know if the co-promotion aspect is is. I mean, they they keep saying that they're willing to do it. If you get Bellator behind it as well, then you have Showtime, CBS kind of backing it. True, um, true. So you do have some pretty big outlets there. Now let me throw a couple more numbers at you. Uh, you mentioned just some women pay-per-view headliners. Chris Cyborg did headline one more UFC pay-per-view, and that was opposite Holly Holm mm. at UFC 219. They did 380000 Oh, okay. And then Holly, Holly Holm... Did headline another card without, um, of course, Ronda Rousey involved, yeah. or, and that was opposite Jermaine Durandamy, UFC 208, a card that me and Dominic remember very fondly. <laughs> yes. And surprisingly, in my opinion. Yes, I agree. Well, I don't. I, I don't have the number now, but I thought it was, it was 200,000. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's number ten. So really, like Holly Holm, I. Pretty big deal, right? Especially after the Ronda Rousey knockout. So you take the PFL that's not going to, they're just not going to be able to do what the UFC does promotionally. Yes. So I do think 500's like, I mean, I think that's, to me, that's, I think though that if, I think it's just as much of a chance for them to do 500 with that fight, 1,000. Than selling out Wembley at almost a hundred thousand for Leon Newsman. I'm just saying. Well, that's how well I mean, realistic. well, look what you just said. I mean, Masvidal and Colby didn't even get five hundred thousand guys. Like, it's not a slight. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, that's no, a it, yeah. that's a hard, hard. number. Yeah, hard, yeah. very hard. Colby and uh, Colby and Jorge apparently didn't even get four hundred thousand. Just yeah. Um. So, a lot of this depends on how Kayla Harrison. Is like we know Kayla Harrison's a big deal in our community, but again, we gotta try to put pull back the layers and go, okay, but is Kayla Harrison like is she making waves outside of the MMA bubble? And yep. I don't know if she is. I just don't. I think she's the biggest thing the PFL have going, and they should throw all these resources to promote her, Absolutely. make her feel like a big deal. But Chris Cyborg is the A side of that fight. Yep. She is the bigger name. She's been in the UFC, of course. She's obviously she's fought everywhere. She's a pioneer of women's MMA. 
Um, but I wouldn't even call Chris Cyborg someone who has reached the, the like casual fans like minutia. Like I think that she is still, you know, very much like well, casual maybe, but I mean like as far as people that aren't even big fans, like they knew who Holly Holm was because she knocked out Ronda Rousey. I don't right. think that people who don't watch the sport as much or don't follow it, I don't think they really know who Chris Cyborg is or know who Kayla Harrison is. Yeah. So yeah. because of that, I, I do think you find yourself really 150,000 feels like a proper ceiling. And that's if everything goes right. If the yeah. buildup is interesting, if ESPN gets behind it, maybe if you co-promote it and Showtime's doing stuff for it. I mean, that that could really make a difference here. Um, but ultimately, I think that this goes in and around. I think if I had to guess right now, I would say 90,000. That would be my guess. 90? I would say 90,000. What, what would you predict um, like, a, like a price to be? UFC 74.99. Ooh, I that's, what that's they a good question do. too. My good head question. said 50 bucks. And I almost wonder if it's too say, much for the PFL to I was going to say 30. 30? That'd be great for my wallet. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess it depends on maybe what else is on it, right? I mean, Kayla, you know, if it's Kayla Cyborg, you know they're probably going to charge more than maybe they're – I don't know what the plans are for all these pay-per-views. Like Shane Burgos is rumored yeah. to maybe be he- probably headlining the first one at the end of this year. That's kind of a rumor going around. You probably don't charge 50 bucks as much as I love Shane Burgos. You probably don't charge 50 bucks for him in a headlining, you know, PFL pay-per-view spot, probably 20 to 30. If you do Kayla Cyborg, do you do 40, 30, 40? I mean, I'm saying 30. Yeah. It's really uncharted territory. I mean, Bellator took a stab at this back in the day when they kind of moved away from their tournament format, they tried to do the pay-per-view model for a while. Didn't work out. Yeah. But I don't remember what they were charging, but it's really uncharted territory for other promotions to get into the pay-per-view game. I mean, we'll just have to kind of wait and see, I guess. But that's, to me, that's a success, too. Like, saying 90000 I think that's a big success. That's a number. If you do more than what the UFC did with Amanda Nunes, I mean, that's pretty, pretty big, I would say. Yeah, I, I would love to hit that 100K regardless. That that yeah. would feel, especially for the PFL. You know, I yeah. I'm I'll be curious to see, obviously, if this fight comes to fruition. But just in general, how they go about this entire new venture, this pay per view portion, um, it's going to be interesting. And but they have lofty goals, man. They're not afraid to. I mean, we see it all the time. They take risks. They take chances. Innovation. So we'll see what they do. Question number four. UFC 279 is right around the corner, Dominic. In our headlining bout, we'll see Hamzat Chemaev taking on Nate Diaz. Pretty big fight. Some people love it. Some people hate it. You know, it, I get it on both sides of the coin there. But the rest of the card is pretty universally looked at as a dud. As yeah. not a ton to put your teeth into, right? Just... Yes, you have Tony Ferguson now on there against the Leech, but if that's really your only other fight that you're really selling people on, it's it's a hard sell right now. 
and it just so, happened, you know, like two weeks out. Yeah, right. So what makes it even worse, I guess, in our eyes is you compare it to what happens the next month in Abu Dhabi, UFC 280, where every single fight is must-watch, must-see, must-tune into, must-buy. Yeah. The whole card is stacked. I mean, there's fight-by-fight yeah. fight on here. It blows out UFC 279 out of the water. So the question that I've seen going around a lot lately is, why is UFC 279 so thin compared to UFC 280? Do you have a good answer for that one, Dom? Huh. I don't know if it's a good answer, but it's just kind of my thoughts, I suppose. But I don't know. I just wonder if the UFC... There's like two ways my brain is going. But I'm going to bring up the one that I put on my sheet. Because you might bring up the other one, maybe. But I just wonder that, you know, they're just just banking on Nate Diaz is Nate Diaz. He's going to bring in buys regardless of what the rest of the card is. Hamzat does have a lot of hype right now. I'll be interested to see if his name at the top of the bill can boost it at all because his following is pretty massive. It's obviously not to the casual as much as Nate, but he is beginning to break into the casual audience, I believe. But it's like, you know, look at UFC 246, for example. I feel like that's a great kind of Mm -hmm. sort of comparison because you had Conor McGregor on the billing, the pay-per-view machine. The dude doesn't know anything but one million buys on his pay-per-views. And he's fighting Donald Cerrone, who, again, not you can't really compare him to Hamzat, but Cerrone, an established veteran, super fan-friendly, relatively casual, I would say. He's been in movies. He's done a lot of crazy shit. So you, it just kind of had that dynamic because the rest of that card was pretty dull i mean i'd love you know to what the you too. know what the co-main the co-main of that card was holly home versus home Raquel versus Pinton. i couldn't remember who the second half was so i mean and now you are the co-main for this you do have tony ferguson that's a big name versus the leech leeching liang so i i don't know i i just think those are the kind of vibes i get they're banking on nate diaz they're banking on the hype of chamayev they're like you know what ufc 280 is so big let's just let's just see what happens so i i'll be curious to see what the pay-per-view buys are but I'm more curious to hear why you think it's so thin compared to 280. Well, I want to start by actually shutting down a theory I've seen go around. I've seen some people saying that the UFC are trying to sabotage Nate yep. Diaz's last fight by making yep. this card underwhelming, um, putting him in a fight that he can't win, you know, in theory, and just trying to send him out the worst way possible with not a great pay-per-view rate, you know, yep. buy-wise. Um, it, it might lower his value for whatever comes next, the Jake Paul boxing fight, whatever. I think that's kind of crazy. I just think it's a little crazy. I mean, I know the UFC have a great deal with ESPN to where really the pay-per-view buys, they like, it doesn't matter as much to them now how they do on that end than it did before the ESPN deal, right? Like they, yeah. they pretty much get paid what they're going to get paid no matter what. And it just so happens that they're just doing bonkers right now. They're doing through the roof. But I think it's absolutely insane that people think the UFC would sabotage their own card intentionally in order to get back or to um, somehow get the last laugh at Nate Diaz. 
Couldn't agree more. I just don't believe that for a second, especially because it also, in a way, I don't think it's really going to affect either guy. If you know, when you hear pay per view sales are down, like I don't think that's going to be something that's a lasting impact on either guy. But Hamzat's also affected by that, right? Like in theory, like his he's been made out to be this next star, not Connor, but the next big star, right? Yeah. So if he has this disappointing first showing in a headlining spot, doesn't exactly make him look great either, right? So yeah, it's uh, I just have a hard time believing that that's the reason so i'm shutting that down. i don't think there's Good. any chance that that's why i think your reason is very sound i think that that's uh a great theory i i don't see why that's not they might have been overestimating how much nate diaz can pull right in at this point by it by himself um, this is not nate diaz taking on conor mcgregor in the rematch of course that card had the conor it might be a mixture of overestimating nate diaz underest or excuse me Un- overestimating Nate Diaz and overestimating Hamzat Shemaev. They might be doing, mm-hmm. they might be both at play. Again, I already mentioned that about Hamzat. It's just a little bit on, it's just I'm not sure exactly how he's going to do as a draw on pay-per-view right now. Yeah. Um, I think the fact that the, you know, UFC 246, Connor is a guaranteed million buys. Like that's just been proven yeah. up yeah. to this point. So UFC 246 could afford to basically have nothing on it the rest of the way. A lot of that being because so much of the money that went toward fighter pay on that card went to Conor McGregor. So so much money is going to that guy, and you know you're pretty much guaranteed a million buys. So I think the UFC wanted to keep the cost of the rest of the card down. Like, they didn't feel like they needed to put up to big names on that card to get it to that kind of buy rate. Right. So Connor made up the majority of the money that probably went to fighter pay on that card. Here with Diaz, I think they tried to do a little bit of the same thing, but I just don't think Nate Diaz is one of the biggest stars in the whole company. But I just I I don't think that he he's not at the Connor level. I mean, that might make some people mad, but I think that's pretty obvious. And, <laughs> and guys, no know, one is, it, so don't take it. You know, <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> I mean, not a slight. I mean, he's probably yeah. number two, number three, right? He's yeah. right there. It's just, and I'm not sure how how much is this is this pay per view underwhelming on paper on sales on ticket sales on pay per view sales? Like, are we talking? This is gonna hit five hundred thousand, but they were hoping for close to a million. Or is it like under four hundred thousand, like Jorge Colby, and it's like oof, we were at least hoping for five hundred, right? I don't yeah. know what the expectation is, but I also just want to say UFC two eighties comparative brilliance, comparative stackness has a lot to do with who's paying for that card. The uh, the people over in Abu Dhabi are shedding out big money for this kind of card. You saw yeah. it last year, UFC 267, completely stacked. Six fight main card. It wasn't even on pay per view. It was, it was, uh, it free card. You know, ESPN, yeah. you just had to have the subscription to ESPN Plus. Yeah. But Abu Dhabi, once they they have, you look at all that's gone on over there. They they really have invested in in more sporting events, and mm-hmm. they want Abu Dhabi to be this big location a vacation spot yep. for, for people of wealth so they want to have like this good relationship with the ufc that's such a growing sport a worldwide sport and 
they're shedding out a lot of money here to make this card happen. There's no doubt about it. That's why the UFC is like, hey, put every fight on there. So when yeah. you ask why can't some of those fights go to UFC 279, that's the reason. Is There's more incentive for the UFC to stack that UFC 280 card because they're probably getting paid quite a bit to stack it. You know, yep. Very well put. Number five. There are three big names in this sport, Dom, that we have not seen fight in a long time. Yeah. Something's got to give. We, we've been talking about it with these three guys for a long time at different points. Since we started this podcast, it feels like John Jones has been like this mythical heavyweight figure that's just never going to uh, come out of his cocoon. But then you have Conor McGregor, who unfortunately breaks his leg against Dustin Poirier. We wait on what, what's next for him. Henry Cejudo retires the very first pay-per-view event in the COVID era. But almost immediately after, hints at coming back. And yet now he's been very vocal about wanting a fight. And he wants a Volkanovski fight. He wants a fight with Sean O'Malley. All this stuff. But Dominic, the question is, who will fight first? John Jones, Conor McGregor, or Henry Cejudo. This is on August 25th, 2022. Who will step in the cage first? Well, damn it, Noah. Pigs are flying. I've seen the day. Because I... Believe it or not, I'm going with Johnny Bones Jones. I can't believe it because I've always said I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Oh, there goes another pig. No, it just flew above my head. (laughs) I think that the layoff, the preparation is coming to an end. And I do think, and John Jones... Although he's very Twitter friendly, right? He'll he'll dabble. He'll do some teasing, you know. He'll show a little, you know, side boob, if you will. What? But <laughs> but he's aiming for December tenth, UFC two eighty two, which is looking like it might shape up to be a really fantastic card. Which I wouldn't expect anything less. It's the end of the year. Against who? Probably Steve Hay, but you never know. I think. He's back before Connor and before Henry. And Noah, I think he's back a pretty significant margin before Connor McGregor, before Henry Sudo. I think the earliest we would see Connor is like July of next year, like the summertime, International Ooh. Fight Week card, maybe. And for Henry, I don't really know what to do with Henry, to be honest with you. I just I just love all of his pillows with all the fighters' faces. I, I would love to see Henry back. <laughs> But the way Bantamweight is right now, buddy, he's so far down the totem pole, if I'm being honest. I, I don't I don't have I, – I love him. I have interest in him, but I don't. I want 135 to play out for the next year, all those fantastic matchups there. So I don't really care if he even fights. And honestly, well, Connor's probably going to go to welterweight. So I was going to say the same for Connor, but he's not going to be at 155. So hopefully that will play out. So, yeah, Noah, I'm going John. And I'm going by a big margin. I can't believe it. I was shocked when I put it on my paper. Give it to me. Who you picking? Uh, I think that tells you just how how long we're going to be waiting here. Well, we're, me and Dom both think John Jones is the most realistic one to yeah. fight next here. Um, this isn't a slight on these guys. You know, Connor's still recovering, right? He's still he's he's filming Roadhouse now. That's got, yeah. that's on his plate. Yeah. So. 
Um, the right opponent's got to line up. Kamaru Usman, non-title fight? I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying. Did I, did I do something on this show? I don't know. But um, Henry Cejudo, I am starting to feel bad for Henry Cejudo. And I love Triple C, man. I've, I've been such a fan. I don't love the cringe stuff. Like, you know, I get it. It's, it's his thing, right? But eh, not my thing. I, I just, you know, I'm not into it. I will admit the pillows, it's kind of funny. <laughs> But when he's wearing the crown and stuff, I'm kind of like, okay, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah. But as far as his talent and, and his resume, and not just even as an MMA fighter, as just a an athlete, I have so much respect for his ability. I think I even said at one point in time, Dom, pre-retirement, I said maybe the best combat sports athlete of all time. Yeah. And I was including wrestling as a combat sport. I don't know if that really counts, but I counted it. Um, and yet, here he is. He's been retired for two plus years now. And, like, nobody cares that he wants to come back. It's uh, yeah. it's such a shame because he is an all-time great, in my opinion. Yeah. His his run at the top was short-lived, but he, defend, he won two different titles in two different weight classes. He defended both titles. Yep. Defeated one of the best to ever do it in Demetrius Johnson. One of the yep. amazing fight, by the way, that those two had. Um, you know, the TJ Dillashaw fight, that was the very first headliner of ESPN deal ever. The first headlining fight for the ESPN Plus deal. That was a great interest in that fight. Henry knocks him out in like a minute. Awesome stuff. Then he goes on to win the Bantamweight title, gets Marlon Moraes, defended against Dominic Cruz. And then he walked away, and like now that he wants to come back, that division is so on fire that I am interested to see if Henry Cejudo could insert himself and where does he get inserted. But this division, there is no way that you can tell me that he's inserting himself into a title fight. No. There's, just, no. there's, there's not enough interest, and it doesn't make sense competitively. So... You can get by with it not making sense competitively if it makes sense financially. I don't really think it does either way. Yeah. Maybe you could sell me more on him coming in and fighting Volk right away than fighting the champion, whether it's... Although I will admit, the idea of him and TJ running it back at Bantamweight does sound amazing. Mm -hmm. So maybe if TJ loses, that could be his next fight. Never know. I mean, I, I would that. love to see TJ versus Cejudo, too, at Bantamweight. Yeah. TJ not having to put himself on the brink of death to make right. 125. I don't know. But uh, John Jones is the answer. It's the only answer. Yeah, I agree. Number six. This is a question I came up with, actually, so I get credit for this one. Well, you had me a bit stumped, so. <clears throat> okay. Well, we'll get through this together. Yeah. Because truthfully, I think out of all the questions, even though this is the one I proposed, I think it's because I don't know the answer to this one. Like, I don't, <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad we're on the I same don't page. Like, uh, it's not like I have some great answer for this. Right? Okay. So, Dominic, we know that fights can benefit from being five rounds over three. We hear it all the time. There's always a clamoring to make a fight five rounds if it's a pretty big fight, but it's three. You've seen in the last year the UFC starting to add more fights that are non-title, non-main event to be five rounds. But the question is, can there be fights that benefit 
from being three rounds instead of five. Yeah. Yeah. So. Do you want me to go first on this one? Uh, honestly, I don't think I will have as much to say. But you yeah, can. I, that's fine. Maybe it'll give me. I more. just want to. I want to get the ball rolling because I think I might have an interesting point okay. to this question. Let's do this. That might change the. So, when I wrote this question, the way I imagine it or think about it, the first fight I thought of when I wrote this question out was PFL Championships last year. Bruno Capeloza uh, taking on uh, Ante Delia. An awesome fight. Awesome fight especially for the first three rounds. That is a fight of the year first three rounds. Yeah. Rounds four and five, they're heavyweights. They slow down, right? Yeah. So that's the fight that immediately jumped out to me. But I don't think that's really the spirit of the question because in hindsight, of course, there are fights that you could go, well, I wish that was three rounds instead of five. Like, I wish it hadn't been that long. Yeah. But the real question is, can a fight benefit in terms of interest, in terms of the hype or um, fan interest, whatever, in terms of the fighter's capabilities going in, like the way that you, um, again, it's all about the interest, right, in that fight. Can it benefit from being three rounds instead of five? And I really don't know if it can. I don't know if it can because when you take a fight that you expect to be three rounds due to its placement, co-main spot, non-title fight, whatever. And all of a sudden it's five rounds. It's like, oh shit. Like they're kicking it up a notch. You know, they're, yeah. sh- they're, <laughs> they're putting this shit into a second gear. But if you take a fight that, well, I, I, I guess you wouldn't really see it the opposite way. But like basically if there was a pretty big fight in the same position, co-main, non-title fight. And it was declared... Like, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, Whitaker Vittori's coming up. That's a fight that, like, would have made sense. Like, I could have seen them doing five rounds, but it's not. It's three. Right. So, I don't think it has the same effect when it just is like, well, it's a three-round fight. Like, I guess in the spirit of my question, am I asking for, like... A fight night main event. Uh, the last example I can think of was like Anthony Smith, Alexander Rakich. That was a fight that was in a headlining spot, but due to the, I think it was how soon that fight was taking place, it ended up being three rounds instead of five. Mm. So, the can can a fight that you expect to be five rounds, but it becomes three be to that fight's benefit in terms of the interest in it i'm thinking no i just i don't i like the question in theory but i think it's a pretty simple answer here i just think you go from three to five it builds more interest more excitement even if that fight really shouldn't be five rounds or won't make it five rounds whatever but um i think the opposite really it doesn't do that you can walk out of it gaethje chandler that was That's three the one rounds. I had felt like it was down. felt like it was perfect, right? Perfect yes. three round fight. Exactly. But I don't foot. think I don't think that there was more interest in that fight because it was three rounds. Right. Like I think if they had announced it was a five round fight, people would have went nuts. Yes. Yes. Uh, I see. I'm glad you went first because I think you really put it more into perspective for me and like the thought <laughs> process. Because, I mean, 
there's nothing wrong with three round fights. We, there's more. There are more, ten times more three round fights than five round fights, right? Because those are only four title fights, main events, the occasional co-main, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, a three round getting bumped to a five round, like Noda said, if Gaethje Chandler would have been said it's going five rounds, people are going bananas, right? But since they never said, oh, it's a five round, and then, oh, something happened with the weight cut, we're bumping it down to three, like, it, it doesn't have that same effect. It's either, it's just a three-round normal fight, and it's going to be a great fight if it's those two, or whatever the case. But if something does get that elevated, like um, like a fight that came into mind this morning that I thought, oh, you know what, it'd be kind of cool if this was five rounds. Pewter Yon, Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley, never been five rounds, never been like a main event mm. type fight. Pewter Yon, he's been five rounds, we've seen what he can do. That'd be pretty cool, right, if it was five rounds. That would bump it up, make it seem more important. But since it's not been talked about and it's just a plain three-round fight, no one's saying anything. No one cares that it's three rounds. But if it was vice versa and they said, we're doing it five rounds, but then they put another title fight on, a fifth title fight on that card, right? And then they bumped it down three, people would be like, oh, damn. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think there is a benefit to having three over five. Elevating to five just makes things feel bigger feel more important yeah the only the only way that it benefits is in hindsight it's once the fight takes place exactly there are fights that are better as three rounds than five like if hamzat diaz was announced it's a three-round fight in a main event people would be like what the fuck yeah and it may not go three five rounds but that might be a bad example because diaz is the kind of guy who tends to benefit from a longer fight but you get my point it just right it's impossible, in my opinion, for it to build more anticipation by being announced as like a three-round fight versus a five-round fight. How about that? I'm glad we talked it through. That's what I needed. Yeah. I was a bit nervous. And, number, and, and, and this one you should be more prepared for, Dom, number seven. Yeah. Because we've went over this before, back in the Reddit roundtable days. Oh, man. And we are, re- we are revisiting the idea of an inaugural MMA Hall of Fame class. Now, I just – I love this idea – a few months ago, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, The Ringer MMA Show. I, feel, I talk about them every episode. It's kind of sad. Um, he's a fucking fanboy. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like Connor talking about Habib taking a picture with him and shit. Yeah. Um, but they brought this up. So they set the parameters about the four years retired part. So that's kind of where that's coming from. About a year ago, we talked about this. like Because... Me and Dominic, one of the things we would love to one day be a part of as we try to grow and expand this community, we would love to either start or just help with an MMA Hall of Fame. UFC Hall of Fame, cool. I have no issues with it. But there's been enough greatness outside of the UFC that it warrants an entire sports Hall of Fame, not just that promotion. Plus, the UFC Hall of Fame, I don't really love. I, I don't love the wings. I really don't. Like, I think the wings are a little gimmicky. And I think now it's getting really wonky with the whole... um, The fight wing is fine. Like, I kind of get that purpose. But to me, it's where I hate it. It's the pioneer versus what's modern day or whatever. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. It's starting to become weird, right? Because, like, at this point, Anderson Silva feels like more of a pioneer in a way. But isn't GSP in the modern wings? So, like, 
Right. Wouldn't do you get what I'm saying? Like it just they rained at the same time. You know what I yeah. mean? So yeah. So I think that the wings are a little weird. So here we're not doing any wings. No wings. Just get a bust of your face done and you put in the Hall of Fame. You know. So we're looking at an inaugural MMA Hall of Fame class. Who are Dominic? Your first five entrants must be at least four years retired. That's the only caveat. Outside of that, you can really go wherever direction you want as long as they have not competed professionally. In four years. And I know Noah got that four year part from the ringer, but he specifically put it on here so I couldn't do Anderson Silva. Anyway, um, so <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so I did come up with a list. I took a couple off because of that four year thing. And I guess I, that's what's, that's the crazy part is like, although it is MMA Hall of Fame, your mind or my mind does automatically still click with UFC fighters. You know what I mean? And I think that's just mm. because of the broadness that they cover. I mean, but it's the biggest, longest reigning promotion yeah, to exist. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, um, it's not, it, it would not be a fault for you to have all five of them be from the UFC because it's the biggest, the baddest, the best that's ever existed. But I think you open it up because over time, I think there's a lot of greatness outside of to get their shine. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to go with my four most confident first. I'm going to give my fifth one last because I might say who I was on the fence of flipping it with. Is that okay to do that? Yeah. Yeah. So the Iceman, Chuck Liddell. I mean, come on. He's got to be in there. I was going to do him and Tito both. Tito competed two years ago, technically. So he'll have to wait for the next time we do this. So you barely were able to get Chuck because he was 2017. (laughs) Yes. Also true. Chuck Liddell, Hoist Gracie. Come on now. Come on. UFC one, the original Ultimate Fighter. He's back there on the wall. GSP, George St. Pierre, one of the absolute greatest fighters of all time. Multitude of title defenses, 25 and 2. Both losses he avenged. I love that part about his record so much. Ronda Rousey, I have to do it because she led the charge. She led the way for women in MMA, not necessarily to start in the sport but to get a bigger piece of that pie, two headline events that we've discussed earlier, to get that shine, to get that media recognition, she's a pioneer, Ronda Rousey. And then rounding out the five for me, the one I was a bit on the fence with, I did go with Randy the Natural Couture. No, I know you're a big Mm -hmm. fan of Randy. Two-weight world champion, one of the first ever two-weight world champions. Was he the first? I think he's the first, yep. Yeah, so light heavyweight and heavyweight. He was doing it at like 40, 43, 44. The dude was an absolute unit of a man, a beast. Doing it at a time uh, where it was just like him and Chuck, right? They were both kind of doing it at a time where you just needed people to really be the face of an organization alongside Tito, of course, right? So I went with Randy to round it out. But I almost know I was debating between him and actually Vitor Belfort to be the potential fifth man in. I almost went Vitor. He was 19 when he came into the UFC, had all these fights. He was a champion. He's been in pride and had a ton of success there. But I ended up going with Randy, the natural couture. So Vitor probably makes my next five, the next five out. Is that what they say like in college basketball? So that's my top five. Give me yours, my friend. I love Vitor Belfort. But I yeah. am shocked that that would be in your yeah. top five. I really are close to it. It shocked I mean, me. Yeah. I'm just, 
I don't know. I just don't think the the resume or the the, the I don't know. I don't want to. I'm not going to use this question to debate you too hard because I don't want to like tear down people's account because he's a very right. accomplished guy. Yeah. I just I don't really think of him when I think of like because the first five that's got to be a statement, right? That's got to be yes. Like a, yes. These are the five people that essentially it's almost the Mount Rushmore in a lot of words, right? You know, which we've done episode which two by the way. We, yeah. We, nope. Nope. Not episode two. It was. Fuck. Episode two is the top, top ten list. Damn it! <laughs> it's up. It's one of those episodes. You know, it was when we were yeah. doing three episodes a week, we were grinding. True. You know, yeah, true. Episode. So we have some names that overlap. Um, I think the two ones that I'll mention right now: GSP and Ronda Rousey. I think they're kind of must-haves if yep. you're starting an MMA Hall of Fame. Yeah. Ronda might be a controversial one, but she really shouldn't be. I get it if you don't like her. But you can't deny the impact she had on women's MMA. Yep. Women's MMA did exist before Ronda Rousey. People like Gina Carano, Chris Cyborg would mm-hmm. likely make their way to the Hall of Fame at some point. But what Ronda Rousey did, Ronda Rousey, Ronda Rousey did was she elevated it. She, yep. she brought it to the UFC, was able to get the eyes of Dana White on her to bring women's MMA to such a big level that now it's headlining pay-per-views like we talked about earlier. It's such a part of the sport now and when you look at like how boxing's finally catching up you know the amanda serrano katie taylor fight was a big deal but before that i mean women's boxing had been like nothing especially compared to the men's side so the fact that the mma was able to kind of get ahead of the curve on that i think says a lot for a sport that is more savagery you know than boxing there's more brutal for it to bring in women and accept women fighting and sometimes brutalizing one another, somehow that that kind of warms my heart in a weird way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> While GSP is a pretty obvious one due to, I mean, I think the market he brought in in Canada, the huge, the, yeah. I mean, one of the best champions ever, arguably the best fighter of all time, um, won multiple division weight class, multiple belts, two different weight classes. Three yeah, total forgot about that. championship, three total championship reigns. Technically, um, dude is just—I mean, one of the best to ever. Do it. I just don't know how she can really say it. He was such a—he ma- really was the guy. You have the initial tough boom for the UFC guys. You mentioned Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, even I guess Ken Shamrock with him and Tito. Like that kind of led that. Yep. I mean, even Forrest Griffin, Stephen Bonner kind of get credit. You know, those guys really elevated the product. But GSP and Anderson Silva were the two guys that really took it. And I guess Brock Lesnar, but like GSP, Brock Lesnar made sense because of his name outside of the UFC. But right. GSP and Anderson Silva really turned themselves into household names. And yes. they were home guys. They were built through the UFC. They were... You know, especially both guys, they weren't like huge trash talkers, and yet they had become household names. They had become representatives of the sport. I mean, Anderson Silva would be on this list probably if he was yeah. in that four-year window. So those are two that line up for us completely. There is one more, but I'm going to wait on that one. So to me, when I'm looking at you know these five people have to kind of represent it, you have to have some – there's got to be some sort of – a lot of history involved in this, right? Like there's, so I think there needs to be one representative, at least from 
that represents Japanese MMA. Japanese MMA is where this sport really took off first. Yeah. Uh, Pride, like I mentioned, still to this day, has the attendance record for an MMA event. I believe it's a hundred, over 100,000. So um, that tells you, I guess, in America, we're still catching up in a lot of ways to what Pride had really built and what was even built before that. Um, to me, there's two people you could go with for that spot. I'm going to go with Kazushi Sakuraba. I think he was the face of Japanese MMA. He was their guy. He was the hometown hero in a lot of ways, um, if that's how you want to word it. I mean, not exactly a hometown hero, but he was he was their guy for the Japanese MMA audience and put on just a f- amazing fight after fight, amazing performance after performance. He had wars with Vanderlei Silva, and I mean, he's even got an armbar win over uh, Kevin Randleman. You know who he who outweighed him by like fifty pounds. I mean he's did it against so many of the best. I also think Fedor Milianenko is an obvious uh, choice here, but I'm not going to include him in this in this five. It's just a tough. It's tough. It's a tough five. And it hasn't been four years for him. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I couldn't even include him anyways. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not even following my own rules. <laughs> But Fedor would be if you're yeah. if it was four years, it's him or because Sakuraba as far as a Japanese M- Japanese MMA representative. Yeah, there are two people who I think if you take this, in an, and this isn't a slight on Dom for not mentioning one of these because it's all opinion based. But to me, if you're starting an MMA Hall of Fame, there are two people who must be in the inaugural class. They are not even Ron, Ronda and GSP could be debated in my opinion. As much as I think they're must-haves, I could see where someone maybe doesn't put them in the inaugural class. The two people who are no-doubters, first ballot, Hall of Famers, Hoist Gracie. This one's going to cause some, some, some waves. Dana White. Oh, I didn't even go to think of that route, but I mean, I love that you did. That's... To me, like I feel like when you see a lot of Hall of Fame classes, the UFC does this, and even other sports, you always have like that one or two non-player representatives. Yeah, um, Dana White is a must-have in my opinion. A lot of people, I get it. A lot of people don't like Dana. They don't like the way he talks. They don't want fighter pay. Yada yada yada. I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. It, I'm not saying you gotta like the guy, but you cannot tell the history of this sport without it. He is the reason, not solely, but his leadership, his run as president of the UFC, look at what that has given us, what the sport has done since him and the Fertitta brothers took over uh, as Zufa LLC. Honestly, Lorenzo Fertitta could even be like, I think he's a Hall of Famer for sure. Um, Just because what those what that ownership group was able to do headed by Dana White and his sort of direction for the company is why we have MMA in such a big spot today ESPN yeah. on pay-per-view doing million plus buys with Conor McGregor i mean this has been a long term a slow build but it's really not that slow when you consider this sport that it was essentially founded in 1993 in America yeah Dana White should be given a lot of credit for where we have taken it to today. 
Yeah. And always crazy. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, need I say more? Yeah. Yeah. I like your, where your head was at now. I like the direction you went there. Very creative. Mm-hmm. Caught me off guard. But of course I agree. I mean, you know how we feel about Dana from the... Say what you want. But without him, we're not podcasting. I'll just keep it simple. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, you don't have to like the guy. You could even say if you think he's like maybe wore out his welcome to be replaced or whatever, like, hey, by all means. Even if, let's say, let's... Say before the yes, the the deal back in 2016, you know where they had that big buyout. Um, yeah, WME. They got bought in 2016. Yeah. Let's say he leaves at that time. You know that was something that they wouldn't allow. But if he retired like the Fertitta, just went off and did whatever. You know, just was out of. He was no longer president. I still think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah. Like you could, if you want to argue that maybe he's shouldn't be in his position anymore, or you think he's bad for the fighters or bad for the sport at this point. I mean, I don't know if I agree with it, but you know, I I I, I can I could stomach that argument. I just don't think you can downplay his impact. I don't think, in a way, I don't think if he gets enough credit for for what he has been able to accomplish. When you look at other sports and how long of a process it takes to build a sport into what we have now with we still have a ways to go but i mean we were you know 30 years ago we were being outright banned in states and yeah now we're got some of the biggest names in the entire sports world conor mcgregor one of the highest paid athletes in the sports world i mean it's just uh i don't know i I got to give Dana his flowers. And I know a lot of, it's not a popular thing to do with people in our position, but we call it how it is, Dom. Straight up. Number eight, last question. Ooh. This is, this is a follow-up. We have, we have done this twice. We've given this its own episode for the last two years. I think yep. it's better to just put it in here. We'll be a more concise discussion, but we got to be on it for this one then. Yeah. yeah. So, Dominic, we are taking a look – this was requested by a uh, listener viewer of the show, so shout out to them. Oh, nice, nice. So they said to take a look at who each of you predicted last year to be champion at this time. How many did you get right? Who would you pick to be champ at this time next year? So, Dominic, I have our results for the last two years. Um, it has been mostly ugly. Of but course some occasional beauty behind the madness here. So 2020 to 2021, I only got two of 12 right, and both of those were Amanda Nunes. So shout out to her. (laughs) Dominic got five of 12 right. Look at him go. Yep. This year, Dominic remained stagnant. Five of 12 for 2021 to 2022, while your boy most improved the MIP Mm -hmm. seven out of 12 i mean that's over 50 percent. no bravo bravo so i'm going to go through who we had to be champion right now who we thought would be champion right now and then we'll talk about who's going to be champion a year from now so we'll do this real quick okay women's 
Strawweight. Almost messed that up. Women's strawweight division. So wait, is a straw? <clears throat> hey, you got to do it every time, right? I have to. Yeah. I had Rose Namajunas to remain champion. Dominic had Mackenzie Dern. An interesting choice there. Yeah. Um, Carlos Barza is your champion. Don't think either of us really saw that one coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next three women's divisions were pretty easy. We all got these three. Valentina Shevchenko to be women's flyweight champion. Amanda Nunes didn't expect the path it took to get there. Yeah, yeah. But she did remain your two-division women's champion at Bantamweight and Featherweight. So easy enough. Men's flyweight, Dom. We both picked the assassin baby. Brandon we're halfway Marino. right, you know, kind of. Uh, he, he is, is an, an interim, interim champion. champion. Do we get a half point for that? Maybe we do. Maybe. But uh, Davidson Figueredo is your outstanding champion, yep. is your uh, – what? Why can't undisputed. I think of the one? Yeah, thank you. Undisputed <laughs> yeah. champion. He is um, outstanding, though. He is. Yeah. yeah. The men's bantamweight division, we both thought Peter Yan was taking back that title from Aljamain Sterling. What a surprise that was. Aljamain Sterling has remained on top. That was one of the controversial picks that you got right for 2021. Yeah. And even though it was via DQ, it was such a – I was so mad about it. Even though I picked Marlon Rice, who I'm pretty sure didn't win a fight since I made that prediction. But anyways, now That's retired fine. from the sport. Um, we both decided Peter Yondo and Dom, you should have stuck with your boy, Aljamain Sterling, <laughs> champion. I know. Now, for featherweight, we both take the Blessed Express, Max Holloway. Now, my thoughts on this would change by the time the fight took place. But Alexander Volkanovsky, I mean, just completely out outlasting our expectations We've done this for two. This is the third year we're going to do this. Both years, neither one of us picked Volkanovski once. Yeah, I actually picked Max both times. Dom picked Max for this year, and then for last year it was the beat Magomed Sharipov. So, damn, um, you know he is he's now a retired doctor. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, men's lightweight. I'm proud of this one. I rode with Charlie Olives through thick and thin. Yeah. It, it wasn't easy. We we had some you know. Bumps in the road. He's technically not the champion, so but I'm giving myself oh, a point, shit. damn it. Yeah, you have to. You have to. I'm giving myself a point for that one. Who would have thought? Dominic picked Islam Makachev, which could have been just a couple months off. We'll see come October. So that'll be a big one. Uh, we both had Kamara Usman at welterweight. We, we would have done this like a week sooner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably would have had it, but Leon Edwards, of course, shocks the world. Gets the head yep. kick knockout. We both had Israel Adesanya, men's uh, middleweight. What am I doing here? We both had Yuri Prohaska at light heavyweight. That was also one that was looking a little dicey-dicey there at the end. Yeah, but a Hail Mary <laughs> submission in round five gets it done. Yeah. And finally, at heavyweight, <sighs> Dominic had Surreal gone, and I had Francis Ngannou. So that one fight that started our pay-per-view year sort of decided the direction there, and we haven't seen either guy since. Surreal they had to fight one headlining. time, and that's all that mattered. Damn. <laughs> He's headlining the next card, and Francis Ngannou is still out for likely the rest of the year. So that was who. Uh, that was the rundown for what we had uh, for who we thought would be champion today. But, Dominic, the interesting question here is, who's going to be champion a year from now? Let's yeah. do this. Well, I say we do it quick. And then we can talk about some of the picks at the end. So I'll Fair. tell you the division. You tell me the name. I'll tell you my name. We move on. Let's do it. 
Women's strawweight. Zhang Weili. Zhang Weili. Women's flyweight. Valentina Shevchenko. Valentina Shevchenko. Women's bantamweight. Can we just pair these two together? Maybe not. Amanda Nunes. <clears throat> Valentina Shevchenko. Yo! Women's featherweight. <laughs> Amanda Nunes. Uh, Aspen Lad. No, I'm just kidding. Amanda Nunes. I thought you were going to um, say non-existent. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I predicted last He's year. He's tried it. Yeah. yeah. Um, flyweight. Men's flyweight. Brandon Moreno. Here's a... I'm, throw, I'm throwing a curveball in here. Marab Dwalish Wheelie. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, men's Vanaweight. <laughs> There's, the, oh, I put an asterisk next to this one because I didn't know for sure. Say it. Sean O'Malley. Cheetah Vera. Featherweight. Alexander Volkanovsky. Alexander Volkanovsky. Lightweight. Just say it. Just say it. Hurt me. Charles Oliveira, baby! Yes! Let's <laughs> fucking go! Charles Oliveira! <laughs> oh, the SLPs are going to be pissed. Okay. <clears throat> Welterweight. <laughs> That's true. Hamzat Chemaev. Okay. I'm going to admit, I had Hamza written down, but I'm actually going to change it because I want to throw in my other curveball. How many Kamar curveballs? Usman. Okay. Usman. Middleweight. Israel Adesanya. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Jemayev. <laughs> well, after your DM today on Twitter, but anyway. Okay. Light heavyweight. Yuri Prohaska. Magomed Ankalaev. Fair. Heavyweight. I was wrong in 2021. I ain't going to be fucking wrong in 2022. Surreal. Gone. Wow. Okay. I'm a bit surprised by that one, even though I like it. Yeah. Going with Francis and Ganu. Okay. Wow. All right. I was fun to do it that way because. Woo. All right, you you got it. You got to tell me the thought process. The one that really you know threw me for a loop, Sean O'Malley. Obviously, I mean, I I, I see, I already see the direction here. But um, I just want to know kind of your thought process on that one. Yeah. So my thought process: he's fighting Peter Yan in October, underneath of T.J. Dillashaw and Aljamain Sterling. It's there for a reason. It's on that card for a reason. If he wins that fight. The UFC's giving him a title shot. I'm sorry. Like it, hate it. Like him, hate him. That's what's going to happen. He's It's number 13 versus number one. It's quite substantial that he could hopscotch 12 people, especially in that division. But if he beats Peter Jan, he's getting a title fight. That's just how it's going to be. And I just think that with his reach and his elite striking skill set, I don't think it's that. It's hard. It's a huge jump. When you look at the competition, it's it almost seems blasphemous. But I just think that he can 
win a fight against Peter Yan. So I'm going out on a limb. I guess he does beat Peter Yan. Fights the winner of Aljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw. Both of those matchups, way worse, in my opinion, than Peter Yan is for Sean O'Malley. But whoa, okay, I, I, that's yeah. that's that's a let's embrace debate right there. I like that. Yes, and I and I, apparently I think that he gets the win over either one of those two guys, and then from there, by the time August rolls around, because we do these every August, clearly, he's going to have that belt. He's going to fight twice, and he's going to have the belt. I, I can't believe I did it. He he wasn't even on my sheet. I changed it because that's that was the guy that was nagging at my head all day. I took a chance, Sean O'Malley. I love it. You got to take chances, man. That's what make that's what makes this fun. Who wants to see a chalk year? You know, you don't want to just see all the champions retain. Right, right. I, I got to ask Although, you too, like, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. No, um, I want to hear. So Valentin at bantamweight, I get it, but I just want to hear you break it down. And then, um, shit, what was the other one I wanted? Oh, Hamzad at Moran. middleweight because. Oh. Oh, fuck. Yeah, actually, all three. <laughs> because Hamzat, you kind of explained a little to Twitter, but you need to tell the audience. Yeah. And then Marab, yeah. Those are the three that you got me. Yeah. Okay, so Valentina as double champ going to Bantamweight. I do think the UFC are going to look to make her and Amanda Nunes trilogy fight happen. Me and Dominic, not huge on it. But admittedly, when you look at what else is out there for Amanda, it's not a lot. And Amanda looked great. Against Juliana Pena in the rematch, she looked back. But um, we've talked about this on the show, you know, in team sports, in football, right? How hard is it to beat the same team three times in a year? I think it's going to be incredibly hard for Nunez at this point in her career to beat Shevchenko a third time. I think Shevchenko's speed advantage is going to make the difference. I don't see Amanda being able to land the shots she's going to need to to really hurt Valentina, have a big impact on Valentina. Um, again, what I really don't like about the fight is I feel like people are going to hype it up as it being the fight that determines the women's goat of MMA, and I don't agree. I still think, you know, Amanda's got two wins over Valentina. Her resume is more impressive. She's beat every former champion in the weight class. Uh, Valentina, incredible. I think she's already the second best in women's MMA history. Probably has more left in the tank than Amanda in terms of her how much longer she can go in her career. So who's to say that by the end she's not? But I don't think that win itself says that. But I do think that she would win now if I had to guess in a trilogy bout with Amanda Nunes. Okay. Then Mayrob Dwalish Wheely at Flyweight. Yeah. So I was looking at Flyweight, man. I was having a hard time with Flyweight. I really was because Davison's your champion now. Him and uh, the assassin baby, Brandon Moreno, will be fighting for a fourth time, likely January. So, um, win or lose, I just don't, I think Davison's not long for this division. I really think that he has got aspirations to go to Bantamweight. So, to me, I wanted to think of something, because I'm like, man, I really like Brandon Moreno, but... I'm not so confident he's going to beat Davison, and then I'm not so confident Davison's going to stick around in that division. So I just started looking at the other options. Pantoja was definitely jumping out at me, especially the way he looked against yes. Alex Perez. I'm always going to have a, a spot in my heart for Brandon Royval. 
Um, even Amir Abazi, I think, is an interesting choice, but I don't think he'll get the fights to get himself there. But I think he is an interesting name to be yeah. a future champion. Um, and then I was reading an article about Mirab, who he is adamant about not fighting Sterling. He has said he's interested in moving down and fighting at flyweight. And yeah. if he's able to make it, which I, I don't know how hard that cut will be, but it, I don't imagine it'll be easy. Uh, what a take that dude could be at, at flyweight. That's fascinating. Um, yeah. And I do. I'm not even basing that pick off of how I think Sterling does against Dillashaw or against Jan again or O'Malley or whoever, Cheeto Vera, like I mentioned, like for all Sterling may not be the change. I just, I think that Marab is going to have to make up his mind and he didn't necessarily put himself in a great spot no. with Dana White and, and the UFC brass with his performance against Aldo. It was a good win, the best win of his career. The performance didn't exactly say, hey, I want a title fight. And then afterwards, Dana said his biggest pet peeve is when people say they're not going to fight the champion because they're their friend. Yeah. And that's exactly what he said. So there's a clearer path if he goes to a division like Flyweight that has a lot of guys fighting for that spot. The hardest part for Marab's going to be to get a title fight in a year because Pantoja feels like he's got to get the next one. And it's a long shot. I just wanted to be different. And Marab was a name that I don't think is being discussed enough who could be looking at that division title next year. I like it. Oh, and then, oh, and then Hamza at middleweight. Yeah. So... I did originally have Hamza. I had changed my mind on this a couple times. When I came here, I had it on my list. Hamza at welterweight, and is he at middleweight? But again, I'm trying to be. I'm, I'm trying to throw some fun ones out here. So right now, I do sort of favor Kamaru to win the trilogy bout with Edwards. That might be blasphemous. I might change my mind later. But right now, I feel like Kamaru might be reinvigorated, refocused, or just again. I mean, he won. He was winning the fight until he got caught and. Does he get caught in the, the trilogy fight? I don't know. I, my chances say that that was a one in a million. So, therefore, I don't know if it happens a second time. Um, but since that fight is happening a third time, you have an interesting dilemma with Hamzat Shemaev. If he beats Nate Diaz like he's expected to, the whole plan was for him to be next in line for a title shot, clearly. Yeah. That's why the pay-per-views were back-to-back. I mean, clearly he is next. Yeah, but now he's not in a way because Usman has to get the immediate shot, and then who knows what happens if Usman wins the title? Does he ride off into the sunset like we both said he would, or is he going to take a pretty long layoff before another title fight with the guy like Hamzat? So I think the UFC are going to be really trying to find out what do we do with Hamzat in the meantime. Option number one has got to be Colby Covington. Dana said that's the fight he wanted to make when Colby beat Ore. He wanted to line on ABC. And then Colby got punched in the face by an unknown bystander. <laughs> um, so that's the fight that you think of. But I also think there's a chance that Hamzad is, he is going to eventually fight for probably multiple division weight titles. Yeah. Doesn't mean he's going to win both or win either, but I think... It's inevitable with how good he looked at both weight classes. He's probably going to eventually make that. Izzy has a real hard time. If he gets past Alex Pajera in November, 
there's like nobody in the immediate future. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, Sean Strickland's still around, but he has to get past um, Cannoneer. He's scheduled to fight. Jared Cannoneer, even if it's that, like, do you really do Strickland and Izzy? I don't know. And then, if not that, is what? Is Izzy going to move up? I guess that's possible, but I think you put Hamzat in there. Hamzat versus Israel out of Sanya. That's massive. Yeah. 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 That's a massive fight. So all of a sudden, maybe you give Colby Covington. Jeff Neal have a pretty big fight night headliner with those two. And then you have a huge title fight at middleweight that really kind of puts some life into that division. So you sort of kill two birds with one stone. And honestly, I mean, Izzy might probably, maybe he would win that fight with Hamza, but I'm a believer in Hamza, man. I think that dude is, if he fights the way that he's capable of where he's disciplined I don't know if there's a guy in the world who can beat him. Yeah, he's the future, I believe. Yeah. <clears throat> Whew. So, um, yeah, that was a lot right there. But uh, wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have done that with anybody else. I'm, I'm just uh, we we had some fights, we had some time to team up. That was good. But and now we're all there's one way we in the chair. And that is with closing statements. The point of the show where me and Dom talk about anything and everything MMA related or not. So Dominic, do you have any closing statements for this Thursday, August 25th edition of the show? How does everyone cook and or order your steak? Because... See a lot of discussion. A lot of those like graph pictures, A, B, C, D, E, and it's different levels of pinkness, you know, whatever. Um, if you're eating steak with blood coming out of it, basically, I mean, come on. I, I don't know, guys. Maybe you're gonna come at me. But medium well, that's the way to go. A little dab of pink, but cooked enough to still be nice and firm, but still tender. Medium well is the ideal cooking level for a steak and while i'm at it a burger so let me know noah tell me okay well you threw okay you threw in the burger thing so now you're making me agree with you on the burger thing i agree i like my burgers medium well but steak medium well you should be put in prison here we go it's always the food i mean what what is this the below average shows food debate what the fuck is going on here that's coming later on. Any, anyway. There is one way to order a steak, one way only, and it's medium rare. Give me the blood. Give me the blood. Put the mic up. <laughs> He's walking off. He said, I'm out of here. Huh. Medium rare is the way to do it, Dom. That's what my grandma does. You tell me you don't like a little pink? Come on. We're We're men. We, we love the pink, right? Come on. What? <laughs> Anyways, going to just step over that one like AI and the <laughs> NBA Finals. And now you're, I don't know what the hell Dom's doing anymore. But, guys, don't listen to him. He likes to eat a steak like he likes to eat leather, I guess. I don't know. It's, oh, uh, my goodness. <laughs> this I mean, guy. It's all right. Um, my closing statement, I'm going to give you guys a couple recommendations. 
for Netflix documentaries. Now I'm terrible about staying up to date with the, the shows, the latest shows, the latest movies on Netflix specifically or any of the streaming. I have all the streaming services, but like I'm pretty hopeless with TV shows, especially. I finally got around the Stranger Things. I still need to watch the last season of Ozark. Don't spoil it, please, in the comments. But two documentaries I checked out in the past couple weeks that I really, really stuck with me. First off, you probably heard about it, the Manti Teo documentary. Mm. Really good. Really good. Very interesting story. I remember this story unfolding back about 10 years ago, Dom, where Manti Teo was a standout linebacker from Notre Dame. He was in his senior year. He was having an incredible season. Loses his grandmother and girlfriend on the same day. And then pretty much the rest of the season has the nation rally around him, the team rally around him. He plays out of his mind. He finishes as the runner-up for the Heisman behind Johnny Manziel. I mean, just an incredible season. Oh, turns out his girlfriend didn't exist. I'm not going to tell you what happened. I'm sure that most of you probably know, but please go check out the documentary. It is fascinating. There's a lot I learned that I didn't know before. And, you know, a lot of people owe that man an apology. Second documentary. Dominic, are you familiar with the Doc 99 documentary? Come one more time. Sorry, it cut a little. Oh, the, the Woodstock 99 documentary. Are you familiar I am not. I am not. <clears throat> okay. So, you guys know the original Woodstock, right? Woodstock 1969, I believe, was when the original Woodstock happened. Hey, look, I'm, you know, peace and love, right? You know, that's, <laughs> that's me on here. Yeah. Um, that was what Woodstock was originally all about. Well, for the 30-year anniversary in 1999, they wanted to bring it back. And when they were hiring a lot of the talent, uh, a lot of the acts for the show, they kind of didn't at all go off of that, you know, peace and love mentality. Um, some of your big headliners were Corn, uh, <laughs> Red Hot Chili Peppers, Limp Biscuit, okay, Kid Rock, DMX. Not exactly the same kind of music as was no. being played there 30 years before. They had it at an abandoned military base in New York. And it ended up being a complete disaster. That's the best way I can describe it. So much shit happens that's just crazy. Essentially, you have all these fucking people at this abandoned military base. The price for water is like through the roof. 1999, it was like $10 for a bottle of water there. You take that for inflation today and you get about what it costs <laughs> to get a bottle of water at any sort of pro sports stadium probably but um people are essentially out in this heat the heat's beating on them they're drunk they're mad they're tired and a lot of people just kind of lost their fucking mind dom i mean this shit really went off the rails and by the end it was a very dangerous atmosphere for a lot of people i will just mention one thing i will spoil one part of this story because i just think it's so fucking gross and hilarious at the same time the last day so they had set areas for people to shower and porter potties set up for people to use the bathroom in apparently by the first day the porter potties had all overfilled and the shit and piss water was starting to seep out um 
pretty close but nearby was the area where people showered at. And people got so mad waiting in line for the shower, they started to bust the pipes. Well, all that water mixed in with the piss and shit water. And people thought it was just mud. So they all started diving around in the mud, rolling around in the mud, covering themselves in the mud. It was all over. Like, this was on pay-per-view. So they, like... We're, they were like, oh, we're, I forget, we're like, we want everybody to get in the mud. Like, they're trying to get everybody in. And it was just shit and piss water that they were rolling in the whole time, Dom. What do you think about that? I'm going to throw up. Going- this episode has to end. My name's Noah Baker. That's Dominic Sleeve. We are but just two of the below average Joes, and we will see you guys on Monday. <laughs>